The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Executive Minister, Senior Assistant Minister, and the Director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Today, I have a powerful guest that I want to make sure that you are, are aware of. He's been on the show before a few times, and he always handles the business. So I want to make sure that today we have a strong conversation about metaphysical Christianity and what does that mean in today's religious world. So without further ado, my guest today is the Reverend Mark Hicks. How are you doing there, Reverend Mark? I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Reverend Mark is the is the creator and founder, uh, or creator and founder of TruthUnity.net, which many people in the new in the New Thought movement use his resources online because he has dedicated himself to making sure that the material that created the foundation for the new thought movement and the unity movement doesn't get lost. So first of all, let me just thank you for that commitment. You're welcome. And so is everyone else. I'm just delighted to be here and to do this. It's uh, This is a great way to do ministry, I can tell you. Um, and I meet a lot of wonderful people. Beautiful, beautiful. You're um, Also, I want to make sure that if there's any information that I missed, I want to make sure you're the center that you run and things of that nature? Could you give the people the information if they want to get in contact with you after this podcast? Okay. All right. Well, uh, my name again is Mark Hicks. The, uh, the website is truthunity.net, and it can be uh, – uh, uh, it's not just a website, though. What it is is a fellowship, uh, what I call a Fillmore Fellowship of Metaphysical Christians. And that is how I see it, how I look for it. Um, the people who come are primarily Fillmorean. They're people who are uh, attracted to the, the teachings of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, and they are metaphysical Christians. And I hope we get into that to be able to talk about it. Um, it's a, uh, a distinct and authentic branch of the historic Christian faith. And Charles and Myrtle Fillmore along with many others, uh, but 120 years ago, um, founded a new movement, which I believe is something that will continue to grow over the next 100, 200 years and will change the faith, the, the face of Christianity. Beautiful, beautiful. So, you know, you sent me a book, uh, your new book, 
credo of a metaphysical Christian. And once I read it, I, as you know, I reached out to you immediately, like, wait a minute, we have to have a podcast on this book by itself, because I think it's so many gems in this book. And I would highly recommend that anybody that identifies as a metaphysical Christian, as a new thought Christian, or you want, or you are, um, you have some questions about what does that mean? Because we're going to drill down on that today, or you're part of the larger new thought movement. This is a book you want to have in your library to, you know, I consider this a textbook because it literally drills down on things, gives alternative positions uh, about the same subject, and it helps at least create context for how do we go forward. So again, the credo for a meta of credo of a metaphysical Christian. So let me first of all just start off with um the new book. Why did you write it? Well, I wrote it because people, the most difficult question that is asked of unity people, and the question that I think we get wrong so often is what is unity? Mm -hmm. People come to the church, they, uh, and when I'm going to ask to your audience, what is Fillmore teaching? What is the Fillmore tradition? What is the, uh, where, uh, what is new thought Christianity? Those are all the same questions. People have a difficult time answering that question. And my answer is, uh, it is metaphysical Christianity. And that then uh, opens the, the, uh, the conversation to the broader question, well, tell me more. How is it different from Catholic Christianity? How is it different from evangelical Christianity? How is it different from mainstream Christianity? And uh, I don't think we're adequately answering that question. I don't think we really know how to answer it. I, I've got some great stories about people who just simply have conversations and they say, I'm a metaphysical Christian. And then things seem to take off mm-hmm. that sentence, that just that statement, I am a metaphysical Christian, opens conversation. It invites people into your spiritual life. It invites people to to know more. How is it different? How can it help me? Metaphysical Christianity is the future of Christianity, in my opinion. I, I love that because actually, while I was at Unity Village, I was sitting with some a few Unity ministers. We had breakfast together for the session started for the Celebrating Our Soul conference. And, you know, one of the ministers said something that I thought was very strong and unique, and it's very consistent with what you have been teaching for the last several years. He said, unity is a thing. It's not everything, but it is a thing. And one of the challenges in the movement is people being comfortable saying what unity is. It is metaphysical Christianity. And, you know, in in the conversations that I've had with people, not only in unity, but in UFBL circles and uh, divine science and sinister spiritual living there and independence. There are people in the wider new thought movement. And unfortunately in the unity movement who don't even deal with the Bible at all, yet you call yourself metaphysical Christians. And, you know, so how does that land as a, as a person who, who clearly has taken on the role of making sure that the Fillmore, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore 
practical Christianity, metaphysical Christianity teachings continue to be available for generations in the future. When you hear people say, well, that unity church, they don't even mention Christianity, Jesus, or the Bible. How does that even work? Well, there's there's two frontiers to uh, what we call new thought. And in new thought, there's people who have walked out of the Christian church or people who have never been in the Christian church. And there's they, they are welcome. Uh, there's This is not a doctrinal thing where you have to adhere to certain beliefs in order to be uh, in the tent or in our community. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who remain in the mainstream evangelical and Catholic Christian church who are looking for a better way, a better story, a better uh, spiritual pathway. They want to practice uh, their Christianity in a different way. And they remain in their Baptist, Presbyterian, uh, AME, Catholic churches, and they're looking for a better way. And that was the frontier that Charles and Myrtle Fillmore originally focused their work on in the early days. They weren't building churches and and centers. They they were they were preaching to people that were in the church, and they said we have a better way to understand and to follow the teachings of Jesus. And that resonated. And that's the message that I present. And it's the message that we can present. So you got people who certainly are in unity, probably in UFBL, who are not uh, Christian. That's a fact. But that doesn't mean they couldn't be. It doesn't mean their experience is all that different. It just means their beliefs are not Christian. Their beliefs are more secular. Right, right. So, you know, one of the things that or at least we attempt to do because we're just not as don't have, have as many centers as unity has is the control mechanism around this is what we present. And uh, you know, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, who was a unity minister before she created UFBL, uh, she used to set, tell us three things as ministers, and I should remember this verbatim. She's like, okay, give them the literal, go right to the metaphysical. And make sure you give them the practical. And she would say, until you give people the practical application, meaning of the metaphysical, you haven't taught them anything. And that was her method. Like, it didn't make a difference who it was. If it was one of her ministers and teachers, if you didn't get to, if you didn't teach the metaphysics and that practical application of of the metaphysics, you weren't going to be standing up in front of her people. Because, (laughs) and and, and I think that 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 was the standard that she was taught when she was there in the 50s. And I think that that's a standard, at least from my position, that we should maintain. And the reason why I have that position is, um, um, and we're going to get to some other questions in a minute, but I just think this is a great point that's coming up. Um, I've been saying to people for the last several months, can New Thought stand on its own? And that's been my, you know, mantra if we say that this is its own thing metaphysical christianity these universal principles that we teach espoused by jesus espoused by the founders of our movement can it stand on its own meaning produce the demonstrations of what we promise the health the peace of mind the um you know possibilities of abundance and prosperity the joy 
the love, the soul harming, the spiritual growth and understanding? Can it deliver on the results without you mixing it with something else? So that's been my conversation consistently as I've been talking to our peers in our movement. Can it stand on its own? Because what I've been seeing is, and this is just my opinion, I'm not saying that this is the universal opinion of anyone else. In my opinion, there is, uh, right now, New Thought isn't as distinctive because people are bringing a bunch of other things from other metaphysical modalities or other practices or other rituals or whatever into new thought. So you don't know if your thing works on its own. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything else, but can your thing work and deliver on what is promised by the people who, who started this movement as a spiritual healing movement, who got demonstrations that we would, in the modern mind, we would say, did that really happen? So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on new thoughts standing on its own? Well, uh, practical Christianity is a Christianity that's practiced. Right. And what that means is we have disciples. Uh, We have in new thought too many seekers. We have people that are seeking this and seeking that and trying to find a spiritual pathway. And what new thought and and needs is more finders, not more seekers. (laughs) Many people who have found their pathway and make a practice of it. And when one makes a practice of it, then one becomes a disciple. And by definition, in Christian terms, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. One of the tenets that I hold of metaphysical Christianity is we don't worship Jesus. We follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. By following Jesus, we do worship him. We do honor him, and it is possible to to actually see him as a uh, the, his to recognize his divinity in uh, supernatural ways, but that's not the point. The point is we follow Jesus. So unless we heal, unless we transform, uh, unless we prosper, we are not following Jesus. We need to 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 go down that pathway of discipleship, and I have found that in unity, discipleship is a word that people do not like at all. They left their church because they didn't want to be a disciple. But what they have to learn is wherever you go, if you want to move from being a seeker to a disciple, there's going to be some discipline, some learning. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, one, of the def- one of the definitions, not definition, statements that I share as I presented last week at Unity Village was a, a statement that was shared to me by one of my spiritual fathers in the metaphysical Christianity movement, uh, the Reverend Herbert Lasseter, who used to be a assistant minister at Christ Universal Temple. He told me as a young man, he said, Galen, it's easier to be a presenter of truth than it is to be a practitioner of truth. And that statement has always stayed with me. It's easier to talk this stuff. It's easier to have conversations and theological debates. It's another thing to heal, to prosper, to create the the demonstrations of truth that our message proclaims. It's easy to get caught up in, as I often tell people when I said this several times as well last week, as many ministers were together, that new thought without its demonstration 
is a is a is a progressive liberal theology with no T. Now, there's nothing wrong with progressive liberal theology. I want results. I don't want to debate about things. I want results. And I think people out there that are hurting want results. They don't want to debate theology. They want to teach me what I need to do so I can live the life that's possible for me. So I just want to just piggyback. Yeah, absolutely. On. And, you know, it's, it's, that is true of every visitor who comes into your church. When they come yeah. in, they're not coming in to explore new philosophies. They can do that on the internet. They can go to the bookstore. Right. There's plenty of new philosophies that are there. People who actually take the time to get cleaned up and show up on a Sunday morning are looking for a, a practical uh, pathway to, to having their life transformed. And more likely than not, they came up through a Christian tradition. It, maybe not all, but most did. And if it is possible to uh, invite them into your tradition without abandoning their lifetime of study in the Christian tradition, then they're, they're going to be wide open. Uh, the, the problem with seekers is they talk about new spiritual pathways that are completely foreign to everything that we have grown up learning and applying in our life. We have to give up the Bible. We have to give up a certain way of praying. Uh, we have to take on certain practices. Um, there's new social connection. But if we can present the teachings of Jesus, then uh, someone who is Baptist who walks into our churches says, oh, I didn't, I never saw Jesus that way. Tell me mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. It's a practical way to follow Jesus. Right, right. And that is the that is the reason why we should proclaim ourselves as Christian, metaphysical Christian to distinguish us from evangelical Christian, but Christian nonetheless. And we must, in my opinion, stand side by side with evangelicals and Catholics and say, you know, our our understandings are different. But our experience is the same. We also seek forgiveness. We also seek peace and harmony. We also seek uh, transformation. We also seek uh, freedom from addiction and freedom from uh, from bad bad habits. When we can share that with someone who came up through the evangelical or the Catholic or the mainstream tradition. And, and allow them to see that our metaphysical approach is a valid form, an authentic form of, of practicing the Christian faith. And all of a sudden, we're not any longer uh, in contention with the historic Christian church. We are front and center in the Christian church. Yes, yes. And in my opinion, that is where we need to be uh, in our culture today. Uh, people want meaning in their life, and they came up um, studying the Bible. They came up with the parables. They came up with warm feelings of Sunday school tradition. Those were those are valid. Those are wonderful things. 
and we can teach people that, that you do not need to leave that behind in order to go further with Jesus in the way that Johnny Coleman uh, has taught us to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, she was very controversial how she used Jesus, but it made people stop and pause. I can remember when I first came to the church, man, I was here maybe a year and she started a series titled, you are to be equal with Jesus. And that was shocking to my soul, but I wanted to hear more (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, growing up with, you know, I would say sanctified grandmother, you know, just saying something like that, even, even though I had been in in new thought at Christ universal temple for a year, it was still shocking to even read or hear someone even say that statement. But that's, but people want to hear more about that. What do you mean by that? Uh, But I want to drill down on a few questions that I think are really important just to kind of set a baseline. Uh, We use the term metaphysical Christianity a lot. So First thing I want to ask you is, what is metaphysical Christianity as a pure definition? And two, what's the difference between metaphysical Christianity, mainstream Christianity, and evangelical Christianity? And you can add Catholicism if you so desire. Well, in the in the first in uh, few years of Christianity. The entire culture of the Mediterranean was Hellenistic. And so Jesus was not metaphysical in the sense that I'm talking about, but the Apostle Paul certainly was. As soon as Christianity left Palestine, it went into a Greek culture and it picked up what are known as metaphysical notions. And the big important metaphysical notion is the sense that there is a God mind that emits holy divine ideas, and those ideas come to us in consciousness. That is the dynamic that a metaphysical Christian practices. A metaphysical Christian opens one's mind in prayer and in silence and in practice to the divine ideas of a God that is all good, all powerful, all knowing. That is metaphysical Christianity. Now that doesn't sound like a parable taught by Jesus in <laughs> Palestine, but it certainly does resonate with the uh, Jesus movement in the Mediterranean. And it resonates with the writings of Paul. It resonates with certainly the writings of St. John and his opening chapter about in the beginning was the word. Mm -hmm. And so our Christianity is coming out of Palestine, but at the same time, it's heavily influenced by this notion that there is a God mind that is talking to us, that is engaging with us, that is accessible to us, that is active and present in our life. And the reason we are able to talk to God mind is because we like Jesus are one with the father. We like Jesus know that we are the branches and that God is the vine or in our case, Jesus is the vine. But the point is like Jesus, we are one with God, the transcendent God 
It is all-powerful and all-good. So we look into a cosmos that is powerful, that is strong, that is plentiful, that is peaceful, that is perfect. And we allow God mind to transform our lives. That is metaphysical Christianity. That says nothing about the sacrifice of Jesus, says nothing about the atonement. We reject this notion that we must be atoned for because we are bonded with God. We are one with God and always have been, regardless of how poorly we've demonstrated our entire life. We cannot, it was never a moment we were not one with God. So that in, in is my short definition of metaphysical Christianity. Yes. And I've never had an evangelical look at me and say, you're wrong. I've, every time I've said that, I've, I've had this pause, this kind of momentary pause in the conversation where even the most uh, strong evangelical or Catholic says, you know, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. I think so that's- all of a sudden we have a conversation. Right, right. And we have right. a conversation, then then we are growing spiritually. Yeah, and I think that that's important. I, even as I was Uber riding in Unity Village last week, my Uber driver, we ended up having a conversation about that he was, his father was a speaker. He did some speaking, and we just started talking about stuff to let him know I was a minister. Of course, they when you, they hear minister, most of the time they automatically go to a fundamentalist Protestant concept of minister. So we're having the conversations, and instead of as he was saying things that theologically I might not have automatically said, oh, okay, we're perfectly in the line. I would say, well, I have some, some, some extra thoughts about that. I have some, you know, another way of looking at that, you know, and what that did is just created conversation, which is great because here's the thing, when it's all said and done, you know, it's a statement I picked up from Neil Donald Walsh many years ago. My way is not a better way. It's just another way. And I, and, I, and I remind myself of that because I do think that uh, religion, and especially a religion that has a level of intellectualism that New Thought has, can produce a level of elitism. And that's dangerous in any religious field. But because, you know, we promote reading of the materials and the drilling down at certain levels beyond what some other people do in their practice, it definitely can say... Uh, you know what, as I would call it, or they just don't know truth, or they don't have truth, which is an exceptionally arrogant statement because truth is not new thought. Truth is truth. New thought teaches truth, <laughs> but but we don't have the license, the universal license of we have truth and no one else has truth. You know, it's 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 kind of funny, um, and you know, um, and I wanted. It's a couple of things I want to ask you in the book, but I just have to share this because I was just telling somebody this just uh, actually on the airplane ride back to Chicago from Unity Village. And I would just end up sitting next to someone and I'm I'm a social person. I talk and I was explaining uh, to this person who ended up being a licensed Unity teacher, which I did not know. I just happened to sit next to a licensed Unity teacher. You can't tell me that there's no God. Anyway. <laughs> And I was explaining to him that I grew up with a grandmother that people call, quote, unquote, sanctified. 
People would come to my grandmother's house. She would pray and people would get results. They would fall out of the power of the Holy Spirit. I would have to pick these women off the, off the living room floor. She didn't have, a, you know, she couldn't interpret the Bible. She didn't know how to do any level of exegesis. She didn't have any concept of what we would call ministerial skills outside of when she prayed, when she spoke the word, she can invoke the power of spirit. And you can't tell me that she didn't have truth. You know, so that's a part of understanding that no one has license over the, over truth, over God. If you're open and receptive, God will show up uniquely through you as you as you allow it. Because when it's all said and done, as you said earlier, we're all still one with God. And it shows up in this different various ways. So for me, my grandmother, uh, who was an entrepreneur, real estate owner, and, and you know, a seamstress and beautician, was just as powerful as any person that you would see out there. But she never wanted to pursue that life. For her small circle of family and friends, you come to me, you get prayed for, your stuff happened. And it was consistent over and over again. Because if they didn't get results, they yeah. wouldn't keep coming back. <laughs> so, uh, so, so in a, in a way, even though she wasn't a metaphysical Christian, she was practicing the principles that she understood and knew, even though she would have never even knew what the word principle, she knew what the word principle meant, but not in the context of how we teach it. So anyway, um, it, 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 go ahead. Yeah. I see it's boiling up in you. <laughs> no, no. I, I, my point is metaphysics is an understanding. Yes. Practical Christianity is an experience. Right. And at that level, we are one. We have a different understanding. No doubt about it. We have different understanding. But no one is saved by an understanding. Yeah. The only way we are trans saved is by transform transformation uh, through an experience or a, a practice. Yes. Um, yes. And so uh, the, the whole notion that New thought is somehow suspect. I, I think is is uh, completely unfounded because new thought is an understanding. Mm -hmm. um, it, we are practicing just like your grandmother practiced. Mm -hmm. uh, our baptism is not water. Our baptism is spirit, just like your mother's. And we are baptizing people all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, we drive in our car, look over our neighbor in the, or in the next car over. Um, that is a baptism of some sort, according to our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so my point is our practice is no different than the practice of, of a, a Christian Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu. Um, it's our understanding it is different. And we basically assert that our understanding is appropriate for a modern mind and that is why one of the reasons i believe metaphysical christianity is the future is it is uh rooted in a the same sort of mental uh foundation as is geometry and modern medicine ethical government and that is primarily those teachings that came out of the hellenistic era and those are the teachings that were the foundation of our country. Uh, they gave rise to liberal democracy. 
Um, the modern era is metaphysical in many ways. When we talk about divine ideas, we're talking about a world where these ideas have a life that can traverse our culture immediately. And the word for that today is internet and hyperlinking. Uh, My point is, you know, we are practicing the same practice that Jesus practiced, that the church fathers practiced, that great theologians did. Our understanding has changed. Our understanding has become metaphysical. And there is power in a better understanding. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I do want to make sure that people know how they can get your book, because I'm about to start asking some specific questions that I actually have from the book. So how can people buy Credo of a Metaphysical Christian? Well, they can't. It's just not on the market yet. However, (laughs) um, I am at the stage where I am distributing uh, copies to people. And if you email me, and and my email address is mark, M-A-R-K, at truthunity.net, and uh, it just say, I would like the book, I will then send you back a, uh, a web page where you can put in your address. If you give me your address, uh, that may be sufficient, but just email me, mark at truthunity.net. I will add you to our list, and uh, um, I'll get you a copy. Okay, beautiful. Now, I have a decent amount of people who listen to this show. So, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my ministerial buddies in UFBL, I told her I was going to be interviewing you. And, you know, she was, she was like, hey, how can I get it? I was like, I haven't even interviewed him yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we, so obviously people should take advantage of that blessing because, you know, this book will help you create a, uh, a context of what it means to be a metaphysical Christian and what are the unique opportunities that go along with that. And some of the challenges that we grow through because every movement has its own challenge. Um, Reverend Mark, I'm going to pause for a quick break and then we're going to jump back with Truth Transform. So uh, listeners out there, we'll, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I have today as a guest, the Reverend Mark Hicks, the author of the book, Credo of a Metaphysical Christian, and the founder of truthunity.net, which is a website you can go to and listen to. And if you've been listening to this conversation, you know that you have gotten or received information that is transformative 
and informative. We don't want to just inform. We want to give you information that if you use it, it can transform your space. So Reverend Mark, in the midst of the conversation, it was a few things that I, that I, as I'm pulling up your book now, uh, that I wanted to speak on specifically. Uh, one was um, on page 57, you, you mentioned uh, godless metaphysics and Christian metaphysics. And, and before you answer this, I just want to just give you some context of why I'm asking this particular question. Uh, I've often told people in our movement that when you separate the teachings of Jesus of love and forgiveness and non-resistance and do unto others from metaphysics, it can be quite cold. And you nailed it. So I just wanted to see why you wrote it in your book and you, and if and if you want to expound on it. Well, I I put it in the book because we have in New Thought today. Uh, a large number of people who believe that the law of mind action means that I am godlike and that what I think will come to be. And I don't believe that's true. I think that we uh, are divine. We are not autonomous, but we have agency. In other words, we have power because we are one with God. We are godlike metaphysicians. Now, in the Greek, in, in the early days, there were people who believed that the fundamental reality of all things is an idea. And if I can latch on to that idea, I can manipulate it in such a way that it will bring me riches. And that is the process that I call idea expression. I look at the idea, I hold the idea in mind, and it is expressed. But in Christianity, and by the way, that is the teaching of the Roman emperors. A Roman emperor makes declaration. Mm -hmm. A Roman emperor says, I declare, and therefore it is true. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, no, no. The person that makes declarations is God. It's God who makes ideas and allows those ideas to be expressed. The only ideas that are expressed properly are God-like ideas. It's God, it's, it's mind, idea, and expression. God, mind, idea, and expression. Paul came along and said, Roman emperor, you are not the originator of ideas. God is the originator of ideas. We have power because we are one with God and because God speaks to us through divine ideas. Godless metaphysics is the notion that if I hold it in mind, anything I hold in mind is rightful and good and will be expressed. And that may be true. There have been many uh, tyrants in history who have declared, I make a declaration, and therefore it is truth, it is reality. We don't believe that. We believe that truth comes from God, and our power, our agency is effective because we are one with God. We listen to God. We, we turn our will over to God's will. We allow God's will to, trend, to move through our life 
through divine ideas. So it's mind, idea, and expression. It's not idea and expression. It's mind, idea, and expression. God mind. We are metaphysical Christians. We are Christians who believe that the first cause, the first cause of all things that are good is not me. It's God. And we look to God and the ideas of God to be expressed. And so I I don't want to actually put names on people, but there are people who make declarations and they believe I'm going to make a declaration. Therefore, it is true. And that is a very tyrannical sort of statement. That is godless metaphysics. Um, There are plenty of examples of them uh, in our culture today. Some of them are in new thought. And there's another branch of uh, a religion that came out of Christian science primarily, but it also came out of new thought that looks to God first. And so we declare that we are metaphysical Christian. We are not metaphysical agents. Um, it's, it's important that we, we understand our, um, that we, we are the branches. Jesus and God are the vine. We are not autonomous. We have agency. There's a big difference there. Um, and I, I the, the book is going to be controversial to a lot of people. I, I acknowledge that. I think it's necessary uh, for us to to um, to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want a world of peace and justice, um, it's going to have to be a world beyond declaration. It's going to be, have to be a world that's rooted in in a transforming grace like love. And and that is the foundation. That is the first cause. I personally am not the first cause. God is the first cause. Yes. So I I was taught in in the Johnny Coleman Institute when I first came to CUT. um, Affirmations don't make it true. You affirm it, but you you affirm truth. Yeah. Find Find out the truth and affirm truth. So when we would learn, like, you know, the affirmation, denials on affirmations from H.M. and Katie's Lessons in Truth, because in our movement, I don't know if they still say this in unity, but in UFBL, we tell people the Bible is our primary text. Lessons in Truth is our secondary text. That's universal in every church. If somebody else is saying something other than that, we're going to see you. (laughs) I'll just say that, (laughs) you know, because for us, it's important that that's understood. The metaphysical interpretation of the Bible is based upon the tools. Metaphysical Bible, dictionary by Fillmore, which is primarily based, primarily Fillmore, not all, and the revealing word, which is Fillmore, and the context of his work, the, you know, Mysteries of Genesis, John, all that other stuff. And then we use, like many people back in the day uh, of Unity, use lessons and truth just to give it the practical baseline that everybody can understand and work from. So. Uh, the next question I, w- I want to deal with is you you have a chapter six experience transforming evil into a greater good. And one of the things that at least I've discovered in this movement is I have to take time and delicate time to make sure that big absolute statements that happen sometimes in metaphysical Christianity and new thought in general 
um, aren't misinterpreted, you know. Uh, so we say there's no evil in reality. Okay, what do we mean when we say in reality? Because that part matters. Because if not, you're devaluing people who've been assaulted or sexually assaulted or people who've been murdered and, you know, and genocide. Like, you can't ignore that those things are manifested on Earth. So you actually dealt with it in your chapter. And I just want, you know, you to share with the audience your perspective. Well, the, the, the big problem with religion is that uh, it's known as the problem of evil. You know, if, uh, if evil exists, then why doesn't God get rid of it? And if God doesn't get rid of it, then God either isn't capable of getting rid of it or God doesn't exist. That's the fundamental uh, uh, criticism that atheists have of people who are religious. And my point is that there's a difference between conditions and experiences. The, the the point is that evil does exist. Painful, hurtful things do exist. What New Thought claims is that we have the power to transform it into a greater good. Jesus never said, why does this person have leprosy? Jesus mm-hmm. never said, why does this woman hemorrhage? Jesus never asked, why did this person die? Those are questions about the origin of evil. What Jesus did is he transformed. Your show is called Truth Transforms. And we claim in New Thought that we that there is no condition that cannot be transformed into a greater good. That doesn't mean that the condition was caused by God in order to teach us a lesson. It just means that tsunamis occur. Cancers occur, wars occur, evil occurs, hatred occurs. And we as metaphysical Christians are not about pointing our finger at who caused that problem. We are rather about transforming that apparent evil into a greater good. And our belief is that there is no uh, condition that cannot be transformed into an experience of good. We, we had that 50 years ago with uh, the, the uh, Robert Kennedy, the, the president's brother, who ran for president. And his, his uh, mantra was, some people see things as they are and they ask why. I see things that are not yet to be and I ask why not. That is exactly what a metaphysical Christian does. Mm-hmm. When I see a person who's uh, addicted and in a ditch, I can point my finger at that person and criticize and judge. I'm free to do that. And that is a very human thing to do. But the Christian thing to do is to find a way to transform that person's life into a greater good. If that person, if we can get a drunk out of ditch, out of a ditch, If we can do that, then we have not asked why the person is in the ditch. What we've done is we've transformed the person's life into a greater good. That's resurrection. That is what we call in New Thought regeneration. That is what we're about. So we are not about 
Why did this happen? We are all about how can this be transformed? And our declaration that distinguishes us from Catholic and evangelical Christianity is that the, the evil conditions of life are not acceptable. Yes. We don't have to wait until we die in order to be free from our limitation. Yes. We have we are called to transform life, not to stoically accept uh evil things and to judge. That's not our business. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus healed. He transformed. That's the power of a metaphysical Christian. And that's what, in my opinion, the mainstream Christian church would get if they had accepted New Thought teachings in the beginning. And and yeah. recognize that, you know, uh, life is not meant to be a sorrowful, um, painful journey. Life is meant to be a prosperous and joyful journey. Yes. And yes. we don't have to wait until we die in order to go to heaven. We all believe that heaven is here and now. Jesus is the kingdom of God is here and now. That, right out of you know, those are the gospel words. Kingdom of God is not then and there. It's here and now. Yeah. So our business is transforming the, uh, the, the pain we have in our daily life into a greater good. Yeah. And yeah. so that is what that whole chapter is about. And that's my answer to those who criticize religion because of the problem of evil. Um, right. My point is, we're about transformation. We are not about confession. Yeah. Transformation is what we're about. It's interesting because, you know, uh, those type of conversations about, as you mentioned, you know, why does God allow? Why, do, you know, I, <laughs> some, some, some of it, and I have another question, but I just have to piggyback on what you just stated. Some of it is raw egotism. It's like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm so more. I'm so much more important than every other human being or every other aspect of creation. That as I'm processing my life, okay, uh, other people go through stuff, but I'm supposed to be exempt. Two, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like, like real talk. Um, you know, I tell people. New thought does not say that any that no bad things will ever happen to you. What we do is we give you the tools to handle it. And those are two totally different things. Because we don't, you know, we don't know. And I said this actually recently to someone that was working through something with their child. And I said, you don't know what that soul, the soul of that child needs to experience and go through. This is what you can do. Yeah. And I think that that's the difference. Because when we start to try to analyze life at that level, I don't know what your soul journey has been. I don't know what lessons you have to learn. I don't know what needs to be developed and cultivated. I don't know what has to be drawn into your experience for you to get those lessons and create the understanding. What I can be is a stand for truth, for love, for peace, and for possibility versus being in fear and doubt and frustration and anxiety, which won't get me the results that I desire. So as Charles Fillmore talks about in Talks on Truth, you don't understand life by studying death. 
and I love and I love that. I, I I think it's I forgot the chapter. Is it attaining eternal life? Anyway, it's, he has a chapter on eternal life in that book. And he's and as when that I read that statement, it jumped off the page to me because we want to understand hope and faith and love and harmony by studying suffering. You're not going to get there. You're only going to get more. <laughs> so, so, so when we say, and I could hear Johnny's voice on my head right now saying, call it good, name it good. She wasn't saying ignore pain, ignore suffering, ignore whatever. She was saying, you get to choose the meaning you give something and the meaning you give it empowers you to be able to go forth in harmony or to stay stuck in the valley. But you get to choose. And I think that I love the agency of that. But at the same time, I also recognize that some people just want to be told what to do. Now, Reverend Mark, I want to jump to chapter 11 of the book, From Metaphysics to Mysticism. And specifically, you wrote about um, H. Emily Cady in that chapter. And, I, you know, full disclosure, I've probably taught lessons in truth. I've taught it so many times, I don't even know how many times I've taught it. <laughs> because, and, and I'm a big believer that anybody that's Fillmorean in particular, when I'm, for those who are listening, when I say Fillmorean, I mean those who follow the ri- original teachings of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore out of the unity movement. And I, and I consider myself Fillmorean as my base. Uh, I believe everybody should read Lessons in Truth, even if they don't teach it, cover to cover and dissect it at least once a year. Now, when you wrote from metaphysics to mysticism and specifically about H. Emily Cady, what brought about that um, the con- that idea to put that in the book? It, it was my understanding of the chapter called Liberty or Bondage, which yeah. and Unity made a big mistake, in my opinion, by Take, that was originally the the final chapter. Right. There are 12 chapters of the book. That was the final chapter initially. And Unity moved it to the first chapter and pushed everything uh, up one chapter. And when I read that chapter, uh, paragraph by paragraph, I saw in their clues that she was talking about mysticism. And in this chapter I have in the book, I... Uh, go through those paragraphs and say why it is that I believe she's done that. For example, uh, an example, she has a paragraph where she talks about going from truth to trust. Truth is a metaphysical concept. Mm -hmm. Trust is a mystical concept. Mm -hmm. We trust God. We look for truth. Metaphysically, we understand uh, truth, but in order to be transformed, in order for us to really live the life that uh, Jesus lived, we have to trust. Right. And so I, and, and there, I found that there were 10 or 12 uh, hints in that one final chapter from Liberty or the Bondage Witch that talked about how to go from an understanding of God to an experience of being transformed by God. And I think that we have misunderstood Emily Cady uh, all along because this chapter has been misplaced. And I uh, then went back and looked at the initial 11 chapters, and I saw in there that Emily Cady is really talking about 
a mystical experience. She's not talking about an understanding. She's talking about her experience of trusting God uh, for all good things. For example, she talks in chapter four or five, maybe six, about desire. And she makes the statement that all desires are really the yearning of your heart for a greater uh, for a greater good. Why is it that we desire um, things? And her point is that at a deep level, desire is God tugging at our heart, God speaking mm-hmm. to us. That's mysticism. Mm-hmm. When we talk about God talking to us, we're talking mysticism. Mm-hmm. And Emily Cady was a mystic. I believe that Charles Fillmore was also, but he was a very head-centered mystic. Yeah. And I think in his uh, later years, he became far more mystical as time went on. There's no doubt in my mind that, that Myrtle Fillmore was mystical. Purely. Uh, she was absolutely. She didn't write. She didn't need to write. She prayed. That right. was her business. Uh, Charles Fillmore at fifty at the fiftieth anniversary of of Unity in nineteen thirty nine made a comment that I have in another that that um, Unity is uh, Christian mysticism applied at a practical level, and that to me that was a almost a bombshell statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Fillmore was a, uh, a a scholar and intellectual, a head centered man. He was a meta. Uh, a great metaphysician that doesn't mean he didn't have a mystical experience he had plenty of them emily katie was able to articulate that in lessons in truth right um and 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 i think that's why lessons in truth has been so popular um it's certainly unity's number one seller uh mm-hmm. far beyond christian healing and, and the the Fillmore writings Right. Uh, and the reason it's 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 mystical. It's talking about the experience of God, and I think we need to raise that up. We need to, uh, if we're going to declare ourselves metaphysical Christian, we need to be talking about our experience of God and how that is uh, informed by metaphysics, but not driven by metaphysics. Yeah, I think that's uh, a great point. At, at the end of the day, we are—we have to learn to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to learn to be transformed. We have to learn to um, to forgive. Uh, we have to learn to uh, allow ourselves to be um, changed. Um, th- th- those are mystical experiences, yeah. and that's something we share with evangelicals and Catholics. I agree. You know, I, I agree. Uh, your grandmother, I and most people I know who are really authentic Christians, uh, have have unbelievably deep mystical experiences. Yes, yes. You know, they've done the work, and they're uh, they just have different understandings. Yeah, I remember as a little boy, um, I was uh, talking to my grandmother one day, and. You know, you were around people for a while, and once my parents got divorced some years later, my mom moved my sister and I and herself back into her, her parents' home because they had a decent-sized home. And so I actually, from age eight until I moved out of the house, <laughs> literally lived with my grandparents in my grandparents' house. So I was with her a lot. 
And I remember one day she said to me, because she was acting weird for several days, and she said, I had a vision. I was like, what do you mean? She said, I think Jesus visited me. And she, and she, and she tried to try to explain it, but, you know, sometimes to explain one vision or picture in your mind, it takes thousands of words. And she was grasping. And one of the things that she said out of it, which was really interesting to me, she said, I have to put more time. I have to put more time on what was the word she used. She said, reading the Bible and praying. That's what she said. She said, so I'm, I'm going to sacrifice. because She was retired at this point. I'm going to sacrifice my soap operas. So she watched <laughs> Young and the Restless, All My Children, One Life to Live, and General Hospital back to back to back to back, Monday through Friday. And she turned that into her prayer time. Yeah. You know, and as I look back on that now, we start talking about practicing Christians, regardless of the brand. That's how you get the results. She had an encounter that changed her behavior. and. I think one of the things about, um, quote unquote, as you name it, godless metaphysics, is, as Eric Butterworth stated, and this is a paraphrase of Discover the Power Within You, that any religion that doesn't change you, doesn't transfer, doesn't produce a better version of you, isn't worth studying. Like, you should come out of it as a better version of you. And, and better version shows up as your behavior as the choices that you make, how you encounter others and how others encounter you. And I think that is the main thing that comes out of the mystical experience because nobody, you can argue head knowledge. Fillmore said it this way. Ernest Holmes said it this way. Joe Goldsmith said it this way. But what did you experience? You know, and I think that that is, uh, when I read that particular chapter, that's what I got out of it. I was like, okay, but who do you say that I am? <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, yeah. who do you say that I am? How do you experience me? How do you experience me? And I think that that aspect of spirituality can't get lost in, in, uh, I'm going to use the term it's probably, but so my listeners, they might not understand, but this is how my brain processes it. I call it a uh, uh, formula metaphysics because I'm a formula thinker and I have to remind myself that it's not just do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, this happens. Okay. There's a trust. There's a faith. There's a vulnerability to spirit that comes up. And I tell students often when you hear ministers say surrender, what comes up in your soul? Is there some resistance? When we say Become vulnerable. What comes up? Because most people don't want to be vulnerable. They want to be in charge. They want to be the boss. They want to make sure that they that they can handle everything. So when someone says something like surrender, allow yourself to become vulnerable, let go and let God. It sounds great theoretically, but can you really surrender? It's just a different conversation. And again, like I said before, your your book has created all type of uh, thought thunderstorms in my brain. It's like lightning strikes are going everywhere because it's making me just process in a real way. And this is why I wanted to interview you about this book 
because I think it's important for people that are in our world, meaning the metaphysical Christian or extended new thought world, to really stop and process. How do I experience this teaching? Because that's the real that's the real name of the game. Yeah. How do I experience this teaching? Okay. Because how you experience it shows up as your everyday life. Because, you know, how you treat other people, how you treat yourself, how you take care of yourself. And, you know, so we have about 10 more minutes and then I'm going to have to, we're going to have to uh, stop for the day. But, uh, you know, I haven't even got to a lot of questions that I, that I had, but I do want to deal with a particular question about ministry in in this 21st century and i would even say uh since the pandemic and things of that nature what does metaphysical christianity look like in the midst of the current worldview well everybody's we are playing we are learning that as we go yeah Uh, we don't know um there are some indications though that i think are helpful and one is the 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 role of um, the laity in uh, in organized ministry. Uh, New thought and metaphysical Christianity have been uh, individualistic. There's there's no doubt about that. We have not been about large organizations. Yeah. And uh, we have we do have centers and churches, but at the same time, we empower uh, lay people. Uh, well, we 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 acknowledge the, the the power that lay people have as being having the same power as Jesus, right? In other words, the authority and the power of a metaphysical Christian does not come from the church, never did, never will, and it's always been individually based. And so we are in a uh, in a digital world. There's no doubt about that, um, and we are also at a time when. Um, there's a, a lot of suspicion and of, of organized religion, and that's the whole spiritual but not religious phenomenon. People yeah. are somewhat jaded and mistrustful of organized religion. So this is a uh, a calling. It, it very well may be a calling for the laity to to rise up uh, to be practitioners of Jesus' teachings uh, without necessarily being um, uh, uh, tethered to a church. At the end of the book, I identify unity. This is also true, in my opinion, of UFBL and other metaphysical churches. We are a center of practice as much as we are a community. Mm-hmm. A church, by definition, is a community. In the early days, Fillmore, and you can just picture Johnny Coleman in her kitchen organizing a center of practice. Mm-hmm. It is all about a center of practice. That is right. what we are as metaphysical Christian. And we can be um, a, a church of one. Um, the, the first week after the lockdown, I put out a post saying that uh, Charles Fillmore declared that we are a church. Individually, right. we are a church. We need to stand uh, as a church and act like a church, act as a ministry, just like your grandmother had her door open to everyone um she was a church and we mm-hmm. and that is a calling of the metaphysical christian 
uh, calling that is there that we don't find in Catholic and evangelical, somewhat in evangelical Christianity. We don't see it all in Catholic Christianity. And uh, so the, the, the calling, I think, in the future is how do we practice individually? Um, as I said, when I'm driving down the freeway, if I'm looking over at someone in the car uh, beside me, I am baptizing them. Yes. By the, the state of my consciousness, if I'm filled with road rage, I have sending off some uh, wicked baptism. Yeah. However, if I am uh, um, loving and uh, uh, conscious of my, of my true self, I will be baptizing them in, in considerate ways. So there's an opportunity there to redefine what it means to be a Christian. I think metaphysical Christianity is a great model, and I think it can raise up um, evangelicals and Catholics into a uh, higher sense of, of uh, their faith. And it doesn't mean they don't have to go to mass or, you know, I mean, no one's saying leave your church. Mm-hmm. We're just simply saying raise up your consciousness yes, and yes. join us in that. Right. And I think that that's, that's really a part of the question the questions i have one last question i have more questions but as you know i told you i gotta i gotta have to get to some things i have to address uh at the local church that i'm recording this podcast at right now so where do you see unity in metaphysical christianity and new thought in particular going forward in the future well again we don't know um, but I, I believe it is the future. Um, I, I believe that we are in the midst of a, a shift. Um, and Christianity is, has shifted every 200 to 300 years. Low Middle Ages, High Middle Ages, Reformation, uh, Renaissance, Enlightenment. Uh, all those shifts uh, the, 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 from Jesus' time to Constantine was roughly 250 years. Shifts take about 250 to 300 years. We're 150 years into new thought, 120 years, and so we're halfway. I believe by the end of the 21st century, we're going to see metaphysical Christianity emerge as a new model for Christianity. That's my opinion. Um, I think it also indicates that what new thought is, metaphysical Christianity is, is a what I call a sacred canopy. It is not an organized church, although we certainly have them, but it is a overarching awareness of a new providence of God. It's it's an under a deeper understanding of how the cosmos works in a grace-filled way. Um, and I believe that's emerging. I believe it's been emerging for like I said, 120 years, and I think we're about halfway. Uh, our grandchildren might see it. I hope so. Uh, we will see. But yeah. um, that's uh, uh, where I see us going. By the way, you asked where do you get the book. If you go to truthunity.net, put in a slash and then the word credo, C-R-E-D-O, it, that is where I will keep all the information about this book. And uh, so go to truthunity.net slash credo, and that will always be the uh, the place to get more information. All right. Well, I think that that's great. I, I have 
so many more questions about Jesus and a whole bunch of other things, but it just gives me an opportunity to invite you back. So, you. <laughs> um, and, and as, as I've been thinking about this, um, you know, one of the things that dawns on me, I don't know if, um, if Reverend McKeithen actually has a copy of this book or not, but, uh, she does. Uh, okay. Because I, one I, was I'll, sent to her. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, because I think this is a worthy conversation to have as we move into um, just, I think it's a great book to be, to be introduced into any level of either ministerial developmental training or continuing education. Reason being, it allows us to have conversations that are not surface because I think what ends up happening is it's easier to uh, just stay at the level of, okay, let me deal with the stuff that's in front of me right now. Obviously, that's important. I got to pay my rent, my mortgage, my car note, take care of my children, my responsibilities, whatever. But once you've applied truth to at least create some level of baseline, I think now the concept of thinking about these metaphysical and mystical concepts um, are at least the responsibility of the leaders to make sure that we have unity and consistency in our messaging because i agree with you you, you know I, we as a metaphys- as metaphysical christians have not been taught how to communicate our information i'm of the opinion that every metaphysical christian every new thought uh person should be able to decree what they are and what they believe is easy as the jehovah witness that knocks on your yeah. door they train their people. This is what it is. These are our fundamental beliefs. This is how you share it. And I think that that's a missing ingredient in our movement. And it's a missing ingredient, I think, because so many people have so many uh, uh, various opinions. And I think this is why, and this is just my opinion again, why Charles Fillmore took himself out of the larger umbrella and said, we're practical Christianity. This is what we are. And they made a statement about what practical Christianity was and wasn't. And I would, and I think you have it on your truthunity.net. I would recommend anybody to read Charles Fillmore's article, The Honest Logic and, and what is it? Honest Logic and Practical, something of uh, Honest Logic and Reason of Practical Christianity. That's what it's yes. called. The Honest Logic and, practic- and, and Reason of Practical Christianity by Charles Fillmore. It's on truth dot, truthunity.net. If you want to understand what the metaphysical Christian argument is, and I don't mean argument as opposed to anybody else, but what makes us distinctive, I believe that article explains it better than anything I've ever read, literally. If you get what he's saying in that that article, you will get what metaphysical Christianity is about. Uh, So uh, I want to thank you again for coming on. you know, we're probably going to have to have another conversation down the line about this book because I have at least another good 10 questions in my mind that I need to <laughs> to ask you. And um, we'll figure out ways to do things because I believe the other thing that we have to make sure that we do in our movement is support each other, work with each other to bring this message out to the world because the world, I believe, is hungry for our message. It's our responsibility through the guidance of God, because it's not just our own thinking, but through the guidance of God to deliver it to the world. 
because one of the things that someone reminded me the other day was that that you don't have to grow church. God said, I will grow my church. (laughs) So so, you know, we start thinking of all these strategies. And we forget communion. That allows the power to flow through to do it, that allowed a Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to start when it was just Myrtle and some ladies that she was counseling spiritually, that allowed Johnny Coleman to start with eight people at her dinner table. That wasn't supposed to work, but it did. And it wasn't because they were special. It was because they opened themselves up to the one specialness that expresses through everyone else. So, so thank you so much for your consciousness Um, and for listeners, you know, make sure that you take advantage of Reverend Mark's offer to make sure you can get a copy of the book. I'm going to let, we're having continuing education for UFBL next week. So I will personally let the, uh, my UFBL comrades know about uh, your book. And I'm going to make sure that they at least know about the link to this interview. So they can take full advantage of it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, I'll be with you next week with Truth Transform. God bless. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.